As we turn our attention to God's Word, as we will continue to look at the Lord's Prayer uh, throughout the summer, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And as you find your way to Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, so if you're in Malachi and some other of the minor prophets that are maybe less familiar to you, go a little bit further. If you're in Mark, Luke, John, Acts, or Romans, go back a little bit to find the gospel of Matthew. As you find your way there, I'm going to amend an announcement that I forgot. Larry, I didn't forget about, well, I did forget about you, but I'm remembering now. Um, With uh, summer schedules and everything else, um, there are a few of our regular volunteers for the mobile food pantry are gone this week, and so um, um, Larry can wave where he's at. Um, You can find your way to Larry and uh, ask him um, if there's a way you can help out with the mobile food pantry, which is tomorrow evening. With summer schedules, too, we're glad to have uh, Levi Pinch hitting with us for percussion. Thanks again, Levi, for uh, helping Jed out and giving him a percussionist this week as well. As we come to the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, let's pray. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. By these words, even if they be familiar or whether they be brand new, may you speak to us that we may seek your will for how we live our lives. Open our hearts to your word and by your Holy Spirit, invest in us your truth that we might be agents of your will and of building your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, even now, even today. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Guide us, instruct us, correct us, and encourage us by your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our time together so far, today marks the first day that the events, the current events of the week, have drastically changed the sermon that would come on Sunday. There's been times where we've incorporated or mentioned maybe something that has happened this week, but this is the first time in my pastoral career that the events of our nation throughout the week called for such a drastic shift in what I had earlier prepared and planned on. There is good theological content about God's will and what that word means and what it means for us, and I think we'll still cover some of that. But it wasn't right in its current form. It didn't address where we're at today with hatred, with dissension, and with a continued cycle of violence. If you've been watching the news or have been online in any capacity, you know what we're talking about this morning. 
starting with Alton Sterling's death in Baton Rouge. The vicious cycle was reignited, where it seemed the two options were the demonization of the police force or the outright denial of racism in our country. Groups that I've read articles before on being pro-life, arduously defending pro-life positions, this week I saw publishing articles that were justifying deaths and explaining how Alton Sterling somehow deserved to die by publishing that he was a thug and a horrible person. It disturbed me, the articles that I had read from one source that were so strongly pro-life in one instance were justifying death in another. Alton Sterling, as if we hadn't ignited the powder keg enough, was not the end of the week, though, for Philando Castile in Minnesota shortly followed. Another death, another reigniting of our cycle of hatred and violence. And if that were not enough, Dallas happened. Officers Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamarippa, Michael Kroll, Lorne Ahrens, and Michael Smith were killed in the line of duty. Five police officers killed by a gunman with a simple agenda to kill white people, especially white officers. The cycle of violence continues. And the hatred, the audacity to take human life, the disregard for human life, and the offering of only two options demonization of one group or another, in both cases, devaluing life, not holding life as sacred, regardless of other political positions trying to justify death in both cases. Violence begets violence, and the cycle doesn't end. It just continues. And we can tie it to other things, But it's relevant to how divided we are, not in the simple kinds of divisions, but in terms of hostile dissensions. It's on display in our political system in an election year. It's on display with issues of death and violence and race. By Friday morning, I wasn't sure how best to preach this phrase from the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how to do so faithfully and not at the expense of one group over another, but to think wholly about God's will for all of human life. Well, I wasn't sure where to go, and Friday's my day off. So, as often is the case, I spend my Fridays in my garden. And I carry with me the events of that week, and I try to decompress a little bit and and just process things through. So I take the garden hoe or different tools and spend some time in the sun, pulling weeds, tilling the earth. I carry with me the events of that week, and I also carry with me a quote by F. Frankfurt Moore, an Irish poet, I think that if ever a mortal heard the voice of God, 
It would be in a garden at the cool of day. I couldn't agree more with F. Frankfurt Moore because I think I can listen to God better in the garden. And if we pay attention to Scripture, God's been in the garden before. Now, I think F. Frankfurt Moore was talking about a different garden than my little vegetable plot parked behind the parsonage. But nonetheless, I went out and began to till up the earth, toiling between the rows, because let's be honest, my garden's so small it doesn't warrant a rototiller. Yeah, Paul, you can laugh. Pulling weeds from along the rows where the corn and beans and peppers had begun to grow. Not the big weeds that grow in the middle, but the little ones that infest the rows of plants. The little ones that need a lot of attention and care. All this continued to happen using my trusty garden hoe, which I like for a few reasons. One, because the weighted end reminds me of a concept in martial arts called Sanjilsan, where the weighted end of one thing allows the longer end of another to go faster. But that's when I want to use this as a weapon. It wasn't intended to be a weapon because God's will and God's intention for humanity was not to be so well-armed and so bitter against one another. God's original intention in creation was that we would tend the garden, that we would grow. We would grow the fruit of the land, harvest its produce, and enjoy all that this good earth has to offer. But oh, so quickly as sin entered the world, we have given up plowshares and pruning hooks for swords and spears. Hence the vision in Isaiah 2, at the end of all things, that the word of the Lord shall be spoken forth from the mountain of the Lord, and they shall beat their spears They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up war against nation anymore. Our original occupation was to grow good things. Both quite literally and I think metaphorically too. We're told what the the fruit of the Spirit is as much as the fruit of my garden. Well, it's actually vegetables, but let's not be picky about semantics. The fruit of my garden is corn and beans and peppers. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These were the fruits that are meant to be grown among us as people, especially as us among the church And as I listened to more news reports, as I read articles, it was scarce to find the fruit of the Spirit being expressed this week, even among Christians. But as I spent time in my garden, as I often think God can speak to us in those moments of still and calm, I realized something. My garden had reached that beautiful turning point And those of you who garden, you know what I'm talking about. That point where you realize that you've been weeding the garden at least once a week for quite some time, and and you've put effort and energy into it, and you have diligently taken care of every plant in every row. And then there's that turning point where the fruit of your garden is so strong, the plants that you mean to grow have grown so strong and large that weeding becomes easier. 
And so if you don't have the patience for gardening, just know there is a turning point where that which you intended to grow, that which you planted on purpose, has taken over. And the soybean leaves are soaking up all the sunlight that it's hard for the weeds to grow up along them. The pepper plants are strong. The corn is taking over its area. And only the small weeds remain. And they're easy to spot and they're easy to pull. And because your plants that you have designed to be there are so strong and well-rooted, when you pull the smaller weeds, it does no harm to your garden. Not so when your plants are small. And weeding might cause just as much pain because you might pull up something good along with something bad. My garden had reached that beautiful turning point. Now, I still have to tend the garden, and I'll still go out there almost every Friday and pull weeds and till the earth. But now, it has reached a beautiful turning point. Things are better, and they'll stay better. But you also know, even if you don't garden, you can imagine the other turning point that a garden can reach to the point where the weeds are overgrown and you know you've pretty much lost everything for that season. The weeds have taken over through lack of care, through neglect, and that which you did not intend to grow is growing strong and firm and it is choking out all of the good which you originally intended. That's the other turning point that a garden can reach. And it's hard to grow a good harvest in that season when you reach that point. The events of this week paint a picture for me of what does our garden look like right now. There's our individual garden of our souls. There's the garden of our workplaces. There's the garden of our communities. There's the garden of our nation and the garden of our world. The events in the U.S. this week paint a picture for me that there are some weeds that have become overgrown. The weeds of hate and dissension, violence, malice, envy, and fear that gives way to an angry type of violence. Those weeds have grown strong among us. And they are choking out some of the best that we could offer. They are choking out some of the good. God sows truth among us. And the devil sows half-truths, just like in the garden. One of the most dangerous half-truths, one of the most dangerous twisted truths that I think we can see over and over again right now is a false dichotomy being offered. A false dichotomy when you're given two choices and you're told that these are the only options and that you have to choose one, but you really don't have to. It's a false dichotomy. And the false dichotomy is this. You either support police and hate people of color, or you support people of color, and therefore you have to hate the police. It's a false dichotomy especially as people of God who claim that all people are created in the image of God, that we bear God's image, regardless of age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, if we are truly for the side of life that God offers to us. 
then we have to know that that's a false dichotomy. We don't demonize one group to support another. That's not the only option. It can't be the only way. To say that you support someone by hating someone else will never lead to the fruit of the Spirit being sown among us. There is a better way. But we have some serious weeding to do because the false dichotomies are easier to accept. There are stories of hope starting to percolate throughout social media and even a little bit on the news. Stories of people choosing to care for one another. Stories of recognizing how difficult and frightening it is to be a police officer right now. And stories of how difficult and frightening it is to be a person of color or to live in a certain neighborhood. We are all living in some amount of fear. But can't we care for everyone who is created in the image of God in this instance? Author and writer Brene Brown shared this. I woke up this morning looking for someone to blame, someone to hate, someone who I could make the single target of my fear about the officers killed in Dallas and the killing of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. And it was such a desperate feeling to want to discharge my uncertainty and scarcity. And then it dawned on me that this is the exact drive that fueled what's happening right now. Instead of acknowledging that we feel hurt, we act out our hurt. Rather than acknowledging our pain, we inflict our pain on others. Neither hate nor blame will lead to the justice and peace that we all want. It will only move us further apart. But we can't forget that the hate and blame are seductive because anger is easier to act on than grief. And blame is easier than true accountability. When we choose instant relief in the form of rage, we're in many ways choosing permanent grief for the world. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have an idea of what our will is for how things should look in this world. And often we do so without listening fully to our neighbors or to God. God's will, God's law for us was to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. But we'd rather stick to our own will where we get to act on our pain, act on our fear in such a way as to inflict our worst pain and hurt on others. And as soon as we do, we continue the cycle and we make the spiral bigger and we push parties further apart. And there is no healing to be found there. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The garden is not too far gone. The garden can still be saved. But one of the things that's so scary for us today is that our circle of influence is far smaller than our circle of concern. Because we're aware of things that we can do very little about. We hear about things from across the globe that don't affect us in any daily personal way. When we hear about these things, it fills us with anxiety. It might fill us with the desire 
to protect one group at the expense of another, to demonize one group, to make ourselves feel better. And as soon as we do that, as soon as we make that choice to buy into the false dichotomy, we have chosen to make our circle of influence a negative one. Our circle of concern is wider, much, much wider, because we're aware of so much. But then we look around and we see how small we are, that our circle of true influence is a small one indeed. And yet we are taught to pray, Thy will be done on earth in our little corner of earth as it is in heaven. We're aware of the whole global garden. But maybe the best that we can do, in fact, what the necessary starting point is, is to take a good look at the garden of your own soul. What is growing there? And pay attention to the small weeds that are growing, the small weeds that you probably dismiss as okay, and wonder what they might be choking out. And are the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, do they have what they need to be nourished and grow strong? The garden of our own soul is our first responsibility where we pray, Thy will be done in my soul as it would be in heaven. And then we can look around to the little bit bigger patch of ground that we've been entrusted to. Our families. How we choose to talk about things. How we choose to explain things to our children. How we choose to talk to our spouse. How we choose to talk to our family members. This is in our circle of influence as well. It branches out just a little bit further to our workplaces, to where we become mindful then also of the cities that we live in, Holland, Zealand, Allendale, Hudsonville, Grand Haven. Our circle of influence can become just a little bit bigger. And the world's still a very big place. But if we're going to really pray and mean what we say with, Thy will be done on earth right here as it is in heaven, We need to buy into God's vision for what this world was meant to be. And hatred, dissension, these are not fruits that God has intended to plant and grow among us. I have friends and relatives in law enforcement. I have friends who are African American. And I don't think that my option is to choose one or the other. And that's not the option that God has called us to. It may seem easier, but it's not the fruit that was meant to be born and brought among us. Our gardens have turning points. And each one of us probably has experienced, if you garden, you know that one week can make all the difference. But also a trained eye is needed to know what the will for the garden is. When I was little, I used to help out my grandma DeVries. She wasn't as much of the vegetable grower, but she had a beautiful flower garden, the likes of which I've seen in Ron and Ruth Holst's garden. Sorry to call you out, but your garden's beautiful. But when I would help my grandma, there was a problem. I didn't always know the right plants, one from the other. And so there were things that I picked because they looked like weeds to me. (laughs) They were actually flowers. And there were things that I didn't pick because, I mean, they looked pretty, so I left them. And Grandma had to tell me, 
those are weeds. Now, my way of doing things was efficient, and I could get it done, and it could look the way I thought it should look. But I was but a small boy. I didn't have the knowledge or wisdom to know what I really needed to pick and what I really needed to leave and tend to. Thank the Lord that my grandma was a patient person, (laughs) that she never seemed to become angry or out of place, that, that I was doing some of the wrong weeding. But maybe she was just glad that we were spending time together, and so she'd correct me and instruct me. But I remember once, when I pulled a flower and threw it out, and Grandma said, that was actually a flower, not a weed. I said, ooh, and I tried to save it. I tried to plant it back where it was. And she told me, Stephen, it's not going to make it. <laughs> that flower is dead. Essentially knowing I killed it and I couldn't replace it. The same is true of human life. When human life is gone, it's gone. It can't be replanted or replaced. But we can vow to learn and strive to do better, to sow love among us, that we don't continue our careless patterns which lead to the loss of life, that we don't feed dissension and hostility that leads to yet more death and division among us. Because hostile division will always prevent healthy dialogue. I learned that life was irreplaceable from my grandma in the garden. But that lesson continued. Thy will be done. Part of the theological content that I had originally envisioned teaching on today was a really well-dissected look at the Greek word that we translate as will. Ophelamata. And maybe it's worth just noting one thing about it. That the definition of this word is, in its simple form, what one wishes or has determined shall be done. And God will determine his purposes, and God will accomplish his purpose, even in spite of us. Considering the story of Joseph and his brothers, when they sold his, brother, they, his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, and yet he ended up the second in command of the nation of Egypt. And when the reveal finally happened, who Joseph was, as his brothers begged for food from him, he told them, what you intended for evil, God used for good. God will determine his purposes and still work them among us. But that's not the full scope of this word will, thy will be done. It is of the purpose of God to bless humanity through Christ. It is of what God wishes to be done by us. Your will be done. That implicates us in building God's kingdom here. And it includes God's commands and precepts. But it is also, in different poetic forms, translated as will, choice, inclination, desire, and pleasure. So when we dig into what we pray, when we really mean, thy will be done, we are asking God, what brings you pleasure among us? What is your will and intention and desire to see among us? like children helping their grandmother in a garden, 
We need to be taught. We need to learn just what that is. But we have some pretty good groundwork to cover already. I hope our gardens bear the right kind of fruit. I hope the way we talk about the world's current events bear the right fruit. Because it's not beyond saving. Last year, my garden was terrible. I had to call Paul, actually, when I had my family up. You remember this. I said, Paul, my sweet corn is terrible. I need some help. And so he spotted me some, which was great. Thanks. Last year, my garden was not so great. And I had to put that behind me and with some humility as a farm kid, except that I grew terrible vegetables. But this morning, I picked this pepper. It's good. This year is better. My garden is bearing good fruit. It really is good. And if you're jealous that I'm eating a snack and you're not, I've been standing longer than you have. And we're all going to have communion in a little bit. The fruit of the garden is good. I'm going to leave that there. But to grow our gardens well, we need more tilling. We need wisdom in which weeds to pull and which plants to grow. We need more plowshares and fewer swords. We need more pruning hooks and fewer spears. We need more love as God taught us to love and less hate as the devil tempts us to hate. But we also get to join in communion. We get to come around this table today. What a fitting reminder of the unity that we have. Because we celebrate in communion Christ's death and his resurrection and his offering of eternal life to us. But before we get to this point in the story, before we get to celebrating this, we remember that Jesus was in the garden. Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he knew what the cost of the cross would be. Do you remember his prayer? Lord, if this cup of suffering could be taken from me, in Matthew 26, but not my will, but your will. Even Jesus struggling, not my will be done, not the easy way out, not the way that means less suffering, not my will, but your will be done. Twice he prayed that prayer. Jesus chose to fulfill God's will. And this is good news for us, good news as people forgiven by Christ and welcome to his table. In the garden, Jesus chose to follow God's will. And this is good news for us, but it was not without cost or sacrifice. And if we are to pray and mean, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be cost and sacrifice for us as well. But we go into it not unequipped, but equipped with these good gifts of God for us, the people of God, to remind us, to strengthen us in our souls. And when we look around and maybe decide that today we have to share communion with someone that we don't really like so much, just remember it's good practice for when we're in heaven and we're joined at the long banquet table and there will be people there from earth that we might not be so thrilled to see. 
But God's call for us is bigger than our small earthly divisions. And so at that great banquet table, we won't mind at that point. We might be a little surprised, but we join together here. And so it's good practice as the church that we gather around Christ's table today, mindful that we are not the only ones, not just us here, but there are other churches celebrating communion today as well. And we join with them. We join with them, remembering that these gifts in us are meant to nurture the fruit of the Spirit. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, where we will partake of the heavenly banquet table. So let's practice. Let's practice God's will being done among us as we remember Christ. As we remember that Jesus Christ was sent into the world to assume our flesh and blood. And that given his perfect obedience and righteousness, Jesus followed God's call even to the point of death, death upon a cross. We remember Christ at this table. This is a feast of remembrance and also of communion. For where two or three are gathered, God is there. But it's not communion just among ourselves, although that's important that our fellowship is strong and unified. We have communion with one another, but we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, commune with God, forgiven as his people. Jesus Christ has restored right communion between humanity and God, that we might be strengthened to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Feast of remembrance, a feast of communion with one another and with the Lord, and a feast of hope. And we are in dire need of some hope today. Let God's table be your source of hope. Hope that death does not have the final word, that evil and hatred were defeated when Jesus died upon the cross and rose again, taking all of the sin and hatred and malice of this world onto his shoulders. And then he conquered the grave, that new life, that new fruit of the Spirit might be born through him. There will be that day that we hope for when every tribe and language and nation and tongue, as described in Revelation, will gather around the throne and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. This is our hope as people of God. So we gather at God's table and all who know Jesus Christ and have been baptized into his name and are seeking to grow in their relationship with him are welcome at this table as we remember, as we commune, and as we hope that thy will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty, to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord, our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created heaven with all its hosts and earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being and preserve us by your providence. But you have shown us the fullness of your love in sending into the world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word, made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God. With your whole church, on earth, and with all the company of heaven, we worship and adore your glorious name. We say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. We proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.